Hello and welcome Hive Mind. This is Dr. Amy Pike and Dr. Amy Learn, the Amy's. And you're listening to the Behavior Buzz podcast, a veterinary behavior podcast that aims to bring cutting edge scientific information education to pet parents, behavior professionals, and the veterinary community. Today, we're talking about illicit drug recommendations with Dr. Julie Albright, a fellow board certified veterinary behaviorist. So join now to set the record straight on the hottest and most controversial topics. I am your co-host, Dr. Amy Pike, a board-certified veterinary behaviorist, here with my best friend and wonderful partner in crime, the other Dr. Amy. And I am Dr. Amy Learn, also a board-certified veterinary behaviorist. There's a ton of us on the show today, (laughs) and co-owner of the Animal Behavior Wellness Center with the lovely Dr. Pike here in Virginia. We are coming to you live from the PRN Pharmacal Studios with our executive producer, Taryn Blaze. On today's episode of The Behavior Buzz, we will be discussing the seedy underworld of the miseducation of veterinary practitioners. And we have an amazing guest, Dr. Julie Albright. But before we get started, what's getting the Amy's buzzed during today's episode? (laughs) All right. Well, since I'm sick, I'm drinking a little bit of apple tea from my trip to Turkey with a splash of honey and a little bit of whiskey for my throat. Today, I went with some fall flavors, and I'm guessing Dr. Albright is going to object to my choice. I'm drinking some apple cider spiked with salted caramel whiskey and a touch of fireball. You can find all of our signature cocktail and mocktail recipes on our website, behaviorbuzz.com. That's behaviorbuzz with six Z's because we are dazzling. (laughs) Oh, Dr. Albright, what are you drinking this morning? Well, let me start by saying I am not against flavored (laughs) drinks with whiskey, (laughs) but I am a Tennessean and it is sacrilege to flavor a whiskey. (laughs) Flavor your drink separate from the whiskey. Mine is unflavored. Mine is unflavored. We're good. I'm, I'm a whiskey wuss. Mine is flavored. Love it. Love it. And I just have coffee right. with oat milk this morning. <gasps> oh, 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 she's really getting I know. Serious. I'm wild. I'm wild, guys. Living on the edge. I'll go put some Baileys in it. All right, Behavior Buzz fans, what is all the buzz about today? Our guest today is Dr. Julie Albright, a faculty member of the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Albright obtained a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in experimental psychology prior to even going to veterinary school. And after becoming a DVM, she completed a three-year residency and a one-year postdoc at Cornell University College of Veterinary Medicine. We're excited to have you here today, Julie. Thank you, Amy Squared. That is a lot of stuff. She's like way more qualified than anybody could possibly be. Right? Seriously. I mean, I feel like, you know, anybody that's got that many letters after their name, truly it's because we just didn't want to grow up and get a job, right? It was just, the, <laughs> it just seemed easier Fair. to stay Fair. in school at, or like stay Fair. in their little safety bubble. As opposed to going expensive. out and getting a job, expensive, correct? <laughs> yeah, we didn't. We didn't really know how much, you know, how little money we were making at the time. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic because that brings me right into my first question. Because wow, 
you're accomplished. You're a veterinarian, a professor, lecturer, researcher, mom, have tons of letters. What do all those letters mean aside from you didn't want to grow up? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so um, I have a master's in experimental psychology, um, and that's what the MA stands for. Um, All Tennessee gave out was an MA, not an MS. Um, So I didn't sit around, you know, reading literature. I was actually experimenting with snakes, believe it or not. I studied behavioral genetics of snakes. Um, wow. Yeah. So I feel like that gave me a pretty good foundation in, um, you know, just the study design and statistics and things like that, um, in the research world. And then I decided, ha ha, I didn't want to be in academia. Um, so I stopped and went to vet school, um, which is always kind of in the back of my mind. But after going to grad school, I was like, yeah, I, I think I'd really like to try out this veterinary behavior thing. Um, and I'm also very much a horse person, not that I don't love my cats and dogs, but um, I thought that would be, you know, an okay backup plan uh, to be a, an ambulatory veterinarian as well. Just a backup. It's just, you, you know, know, no big deal. No big deal. Just, um, just one of the hardest jobs and that'll be my backup plan. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Loads of free time with that one. Um, yeah. But no, I actually went to vet school knowing that there was a fairly newish veterinary behavior specialty. So I had that, that was kind of the the main line there. Um, so, you know, did the four years of vet school and then um, did, worked in private practice for a bit and then went to work with the famous Dr. Catherine Hout at Cornell for the residency. Love her. Yes. The, the grandmother of all of us really. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, so that was a wonderful experience. Um, so just like you know, a psychiatrist does a residency in um, psychiatric medicine after they get their MD. So that's not really a degree. That's a, a specialty. So the DVM is a degree, and then we specialize, all of us. Um, that's what that DACBB means, Diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Behaviorist. Julie, if I'm understanding you right, all those letters um, behind your name mean that, number one, you're a medical doctor, you can diagnose, you can prescribe medication. Is that correct? That is correct. As can you. Okay. As can I. As I can you. Don't leave me out. Both I yes. know. As can the other. When I say you, so, y'all, I'm gonna, I'll say y'all. 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 Oh, That's now right. I understand. Yeah, from the yeah, other side to. of the mountain. Well, Virginia is the South. I learned it that is. when I moved here. So hardcore. Um, hardcore the South. How do you feel about uh, non-medical doctors making recommendations about medications, uh, whether to start meds, to stop them? What's your opinion? Yeah, and I'd love to hear your the way you navigate this as well. But um, you know, there's knowledge is free out there, right? Anybody, I've got clients that buy textbooks written by our colleagues, right? Yeah. They, it is so totally. easy to get your hands on this information and it's not wrong information. It's just incomplete information, right? I mean, you can know the facts of what an alpha two agonist is, but until you really see how it works in those animals and you've seen it in many animals and, you know, the potential side effects and you've seen you know, I get to work next to an ER and an ICU, you know, what serotonin syndrome really mm-hmm. looks like or what collapse mm-hmm. looks like from a, you know, that's, it, it really, you need that entire 
medical degree. And for veterinarians out there, you know, you're left holding the bag. You can have a trainer that has read a textbook. Um, You know, there is someone in my state who considers himself an expert in this. And, you know, he Mm -hmm. went to an owner seminar. So at Cornell, we had a seminar for pet owners and trainers. um, And it was a very basic talk. Mm-hmm. And this person claims that he quote unquote studied at Cornell. Oh my gosh. After oh, going to that one lecture. Yeah, it is oh, such boy. a marketing ploy. He actually went to another school and they had him do, and he wrote the same thing. Um, and they made him cease and desist, but Cornell never followed wow. up with him. So he's allowed to continue to keep that on his website. And so he calls himself a canine. um, Let me see if I can get this. Remember the shenanigans. Um, (laughs) Canine psychopharmacologic behaviorist. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Capital P, capital B. That's really funny. It means serious. It's serious, right? Because if you see that, and it is something completely outside of our you know, our bailiwick. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Pike is a, she's a wine expert, right? So she's read about wine. So she has lots of wine in her house. Yeah. She is a, you know, maternal sommelier, you know, capital M, <laughs> capital S. You know, it's just, it's made actually. up. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't know about wine, but, Sad. you know, is a certified Sad. sommelier going to let you come in there right. into his restaurant? And, and right. I'm going way too far in this analogy. I just, I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, what in the world could it kind of relate to in the outside yeah. world for us? But, you know, he just fools people because you think that yeah. there's an actual field and therefore, yeah. but that's the problem. So if we came and did that, like if we put the word veterinarian in front of any of those terms, mm-hmm. it, we would be in trouble, right? Because we have exactly. an overarching organization that, you know, keeps that our specialty organization is a part of, like there's so many levels and not to mention our state licensing, right? So, mm-hmm. and our liability insurance. So we have so many checks on us that A, make sure what education we're receiving is within certain parameters, right? That our mm-hmm. assessment, and here's the difference too. Where is your assessment? Show me a test. Right that proves to me that you've learned something from that textbook or that seminar you went to where another trainer or another Mm -hmm. behaviorist that's a PhD behaviorist and something that's not related to psychopharmacology, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the Mm -hmm. problem. Unless there's a DVM after the name and really Mm -hmm. a DACVB, you really don't know the quality of that information yeah. you're getting. And is it, is it enough for you to make a recommendation? 
So yeah, yeah. The, the point is that guy yeah. can say whatever he wants because there's no organ, there's no overarching organization telling him not to do that. And he's not practicing veterinary medicine because our colleagues are who don't have much of a behavior background. That part of the state does not have a vet school near it. And the vet school that's the closest does not have a behavior program. So they just, honestly, they, they don't know that the capital C, capital P, capital B mean nothing, that he didn't study at Cornell, you know? So people like veterinarians, fellow colleagues of ours are taking courses from this person. I don't think they're taking courses from this person, even though he did try to start a web and web program, a web-based program to get other trainers to pay many thousands of dollars for him to oh teach them psychopharmacology. Wow. Yeah, it's just the it's crazy the world out there. So Unreal. he is, you know, he, people come to him for training help. Um particularly he calls himself an aggression specialist. And then he says, go to your vet and get this, you know, get these medications. And our colleagues wow. are prescribing it. Wow. Yeah, and it's That's just like- truly because of a lack of of knowing that that's, yeah. you know, that he is not what he says he is, that he does not have the education to back up this, this purported expertise. And I should, this that's is, right. you know, it's coming off as very much a, a trainer bashing. And I, that is not at all what right. we're saying here. Right? right. And again, I'd love to give Absolutely. your personal experience, but there are amazing dog trainers out there. And when they call me up and say, Dr. Mm-hmm. Julie, this is our patient we share, he's stuck, right? We are stuck mm-hmm. in the desensitization. We are not able to get past mm-hmm. the point. You know, what do you think about medications to help make this happen a little bit better? Absolutely. Absolutely. I take their, mm-hmm. I trust these certain people. The problem is for yeah. veterinarians, you know, it's the wild west out there, right? We have no clue. Um, and these people would never presume, you know, my trusted trainers, even though they may Mm -hmm. know from experience, like, yeah, this medication is like, I've known you've used that before. Like, what do you think about that? They don't do that. Yeah. And who better to identify a snake oil salesman than somebody who studied the genetic in snakes early on in their career? <laughs> oh my god, you're so cheesy. Yes. But I really want to know, like, are there courses out there for lay people or trainers to teach them what they need to know about certain medications or products? What information or authority does that provide for them? So I, I would think the the answer to the first part of that question is yes. I see them all the time come across my email. Hey, so-and-so, who's a big name in the training world, is giving a course on, you know, psychoactive medication. Our colleagues, rightly so, give, like, I'm not, of course I'm okay with giving some basic courses on when an animal might need a medication and kind of what is an antidepressant versus a benzo, right? Why would you, that word is scary. What does that mean? Is it, is it a problem in your pet? I do that all the time, but it does not give that person in the audience the, you know, are they now an expert in it? 
Right. You know, again, mm-hmm. always ask if somebody says they're an expert, okay, where is the test that you took? Does this mm-hmm. quote unquote certification mean you took a test or did you just right. have your tush in a chair for an right. hour? Yeah. yeah. You know, if I go to, yeah. a, I go to, I go to training seminars all the time, you know, clicker expo, things like that all the time. Mm-hmm. I go to CEs that have nothing to, you know, cardiac disease. I am mm-hmm. by no means, you know, a, a cardiologist. A yeah. And I did that yeah. study with that person. I just, right. you know, I'm trying to learn a little bit more to see how it's going to affect my patient and be a better vet. Um, no, that's great. So yeah. again, I, what are your thoughts on it? Dr. Amy's, what have you seen? I mean, I'm in the same boat. Like I've lectured at APDT, IABC, Clicker Expo. Like I'm all about giving the the basic knowledge to these folks that are out there in the trenches doing the hard work so that, like you said, they know when the animal might need medication, right? They know when there might be something that is prohibiting them from learning or progressing. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that that makes them an expert. And And I do think that... The people that know the most um, also know their limitations too, mm-hmm. right? Like they're they're very good about saying like, okay, this is not working. I need help. I need outside eyes on this. Um, and yeah, I have those trainers that I can, you know, definitely trust that when they send me a patient, I know they're ready for meds because they have tried what they what they are skilled at, and it's not working. So absolutely, and I. I see an obvious difference between the lectures that I prepare for veterinarians or mm-hmm. residents and the lectures that I prepare for lay people or trainers mm-hmm. or people that don't have that medical knowledge background, because I'm going to give you a brief overview of some of the things that happen versus the neurotransmitters and what they do and the neurochemical pathways and all the interactions and parts of the brain and all of those kinds of things that are not going to be understood, <laughs> depending yeah. on what audience I'm talking to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm preparing lectures for um, Virginia Tech's vet school next semester. And it is a very different lecture than actually what I give to general practitioners and definitely different than what I would give to um, trainers because these students need to know all of that neurochemistry and like really how these drugs work, et cetera, et cetera. My veterinarians, they already got that, right? They went to veterinary school. So they know these, um, for the most part, these pathways, et cetera. So yeah, it's just very different. But I do have some of those issues, not to the same extent that you do. I will have some trainers that I'm not closely working with that will suggest make suggestions, um, but not really specific. I did have one um, client recently that came in that was going to a group training class somewhere at some place. Um, and they said, oh, well, the trainer said that we needed to have a different medication. This one wasn't working. And I was like, tell me why, what were they saying? What are you saying? How do you feel? And we have to gather all that information to really figure out what that looks like. And do we really need a different medication? Do we need to adjust the dose? Or are we expecting too much from what's happening and we're not managing our circumstances or teaching the right skills the right way or something like that? So Julie, I know you're at a veterinary school. Um, I teach one elective course at Virginia Tech. How do veterinary students get behavior knowledge these days? That is a 
great because I think it's going to vary, right? Mm-hmm. So there's quite a few schools that, um, you know, have a, there's not enough of us in the vet school on faculty. What are we down to? Like five or six maybe that are actually on faculty. Um, and then the way that's, vet schools are just in this really weird position right now where we're not getting enough funding from the state to really be able to do the, all the things we need to do. So I think even at some of those schools, like they're really expected to be in the clinics all the time and they have very little teaching. So to me, that's very frustrating as well. But, you know, I think our vet students get a one credit hour course. So there's like a lecture or two on psychopharmacology. We try to repeat it a couple of places through the curriculum. They have an elective they can take, and then they have the rotation they could take with me. It's not required. So I would say the vast majority of even our students are getting through with a very basic knowledge. And so most of them um, are hopefully getting, you know, our, I think every, all of us on this call, our CEs, when we go to conferences, mm-hmm. those psychopharm lectures are standing room only. So that's where they're getting Absolutely. a lot of those. Um, and then of course, ever, especially since the pandemic, um, so much more is available online. Um, and especially after, you know, webinars that are on demand and really anybody can take those. So it, it is, again, important to know that some of those lectures actually may be above the knowledge to some extent. You know, it's hard to tailor, I think is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, I get calls all the time from vets and I'm happy to talk them through what you might use and why are we doing this and what's the realistic expectation. Um, so and I know that as part of my that's part of my job and it's not necessarily part of a non-academic behaviorist job, right? How many calls are you able to take from non-patient vets, right? There are vets that are not taking care of one of your current patients. We do get quite a few calls and emails. And I I actually actually prefer to teach veterinarians how to treat their patients versus treating my own patients. I would much rather do that. Um, so I love them. I love answering this. Yeah. So if there are any GPs on this call, you know, there's so many options to get personalized help through, you know, quite a few of us do vet to vet consults. Um, don't hesitate to call. And if you get a no somewhere, call somebody else, you know, go down Mm -hmm, the list. Thank you, Dr. Albright. What's up next, Dr. Pike? We are going to take a quick break with a word from our sponsors. PRN stands for pro re nada, a Latin phrase meaning as the circumstance arises. Since 1978, the veterinary community has trusted PRN Pharmacal to be here when needed with industry-leading research and innovative products designed to improve animal health and quality of life. PRN Pharmacal is a proud sponsor of the Behavior Buzz podcast and is committed to the physical and emotional health of animals everywhere. PRN Pharmacal, here when you need us. All right, guys, let's get back down to business. Um, Before we dive back in, let's get to know Dr. Julie just a little bit more. You have written so many publications um, and at least seem to enjoy research and helping residents with their research topics. What was your favorite paper to work on? 
Oh, that's a great question, right? They're all, you did them all for a reason. Um, I would say most recently I have been in collaboration with some of our private practice colleagues to help their residents carry out more prospective. You know, it's hard for you guys in private practice to do prospective studies, meaning, you know, clinical studies, looking at um, a medication. Uh, We have the infrastructure here in academia. So a couple of those residents um, have contacted me um, to help them with that aspect of their residency. So that's really been fun. Um, you know, the ones that are looking at how medications directly impact. Yeah, the one that just came out about how gabapentin and shelters, you know, how that may help cats. I've got two papers actually looking at that coming up um, with different residents. So that's always very satisfying to do those clinical studies. But, you know, it's important. We're also doing next week, I'm doing a clonidine study. Um, we're looking at how, we're, yeah, we're doing um, a PK study because we cool. use that so frequently because we know it can be very helpful, but we have no data on what is yeah. the half-life of this. You know, yeah. when is its peak? Um, how does ER compare? Should we be using the extended release formulation? Very cool. So that mm-hmm. should be coming out, um, that data will definitely be presented at our meeting next year. And is that fun to do? Is that fun to sit there with the dog and take blood samples every few minutes? No, but we know it's important. Right? <laughs> um, but it's it'll be an important study for that important yeah. psychoactive medication. So they all, um, you know, in the moment, no research is ever thrilling. But when you're, sure. you know, putting things in your statistics program and you're to punch that button to see what your p-value is um that always gives me a little thrill i love that thank god someone loves research i know i was like that sounds awful (laughs) talking about some of the primary care um information knowledge training situation um, what are your recommendations for primary care veterinarians or pet parents who encounter someone trying to make medication or product recommendations? Um, to some extent, I think it depends on their relationship with them and my relationship with them. Um, but I think in general, that's a, that's a bit of a pink flag, right? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> are they staying in their lane? Um, like I said, I'm always, I think we're always welcome to, this doesn't seem right. You know, I know in the trainers I work with, like you were saying, Amy Learn, you know, are you putting the dog in a situation that is way too much? Are you setting them up to fail and hoping medications are just make it better? Or are you one, a good dog trainer who realizes that the environmental modification and the environmental control is just as important. And we have to work through those. We can't skip steps because of right. medication, right? So, um, yeah. So I guess I would say it's a pink flag, not a hard yeah. red flag. Right. It's a little yeah. bit. A little, a little bit. bit. It could be. Right? It, could, it could be. And again, yeah, depending on the person too. So like, and I get this question when I do talk at like trainer talks all the time is like, how does a, a dog trainer with 
actual knowledge of products or medication, and especially more so like these natural over-the-counter products that clients can walk into a pet store and pick up off the shelf, how do they make a scientifically based recommendation to a client without crossing that line and raising that red flag? Yeah. How How do they stay in their lane, but also Mm -hmm. encourage their client to get that help? Yeah. So I think anything right from a pet store um, is probably suspect. You can get some things off the shelf at the pet store, like the probiotics and the, you know. Yeah, even though the more I study those, you know, the actually just did a webinar um, last or Thursday night about this and really kind of dug into the data. And there's a couple of papers out there to say, you know, when they randomly picked some products off the shelf, especially at the um, veterinary, you know, pet stores, um, this wasn't a human probiotic study, that four of the 15 had the appropriate live bacteria wow. and label. Facts were straight, you know. Some of them even had the wrong bacteria, believe it or not, on there, which just is wow. sort of mind-boggling. So I think um, it's perfectly fine for any trainer to be, to, to point out, are you sure? You know, like, I don't think those are necessarily... Um, the best quality products, like I've heard Dr. Albright or the vet behaviorists I work with, I've heard those, but they didn't give specific recommendations for, you know, a medication product in particular is concerning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know a lot of the trainers around me, they'll, they'll be like, well, you know, I've had clients use this. Mm-hmm. I've used this in my own pet talk to your veterinarian. Right. right. Like, and that's, I think that's the really mm-hmm. important sort of key phrase there. So. Right. Cause experience yeah. is not worthless. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, again, the ones I've worked with, they've seen tons of dogs under our yeah. joint care do very well on a specific combination, but it doesn't mean it's going to be right for the next one, but I'm, I'm happy for them to say, please talk to Dr. Albright or have them reach out. You know, I, I ask that we yeah. have, um, I'm not sure how you guys handle um, privacy and things like that, but I ask the client to say, hey, can your, ta- you know, can we have free access to each other, your trainer and I? Can we get right. a three-way email going? And that way, yeah. Yeah. you know, we have a joint conversation about these uh, in real time instead of using the client as the middleman. Because yeah. that we can do be that all the time. as well too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Like, are you sure that's yeah. what that trainer said? Just like, are you sure that's what <laughs> yeah. your veterinarian said? Because <laughs> right, I know this exactly. veterinarian, and that's not what I think they said. They exactly. did not say that. Yeah. They did not say that. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of brings us into this lack of information in veterinary schools. How, as an industry, how do we move forward? How do we help all of our primary care veterinarians get the education and have the information that they need to successfully navigate this behavior field? Gosh, you know, such a complicated question because it goes, you know, it comes to politics and not just politics amongst like, you know, surgeons and behaviorists, but, you know, our state legislature, it just cuts funding for higher education every year. And that is definitely a red blue thing. Um, There is again, internal politics, like what, when you only have so much money, who are we going to hire? Are we going to hire a new surgeon or are we going to hire a new behaviorist? But then that's a new recent issue is 
you, we can't keep faculty at vet schools. The amount of work we have to do compared and, and at a, such a lower salary compared to private practice. Um, yeah, vet schools, I'm not real sure. This, this goes off into a topic I am not an expert in, but I'm watching from the, from the trenches. We're going to have to have a different business model at some point. Mm-hmm. There, we, we just cannot keep faculty members you can't compete with folks making half a million dollars <laughs> um, right now um, the behaviors and not in having practice to, are not making half a million dollars making a half a million dollars <laughs> not behavior not <laughs> behaviorist no we do this because yeah. we love it not that any veterinarian doesn't do things because they yeah. are passionate about helping people um and their pets but it is it's a weird world out there right now and i think I, I feel like we're in a bit of a bubble that may um, crash. I'm a little worried. Like, you know, you and the three of us have so many vet schools coming to our region. These like sort of new for-profit yeah. vet schools too. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean they're not behavior friendly, but, uh, you know, I think there's a learning curve with all of these, these vet schools. Yeah. And I don't think they're going to be hiring behaviorist to be on faculty, yeah, to I be agree. honest. So I think we're going to have more yeah. and more veterinarians, new grads that they're not going to be getting veterinary behavior education, including psychoactive medications. So it's going to be up to us to continue to kind of do postgraduate good education for them. And that comes back to sort of don't hesitate to get sort of this one-on-one help as yeah, well from absolutely. us. That's we, you and know, so think globally, act locally. That's all we can do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's so distressing for so many reasons. And, and I'm preaching to the choir, but we know that behavior really is intimately involved with all of the other medical health issues, right? We look at behavior change as one of the primary indicators of other illness. And so if we're missing that key component for some of our veterinarians, then it's really not providing them all of the information that they need, both from a behavior solution, you know, analysis problem standpoint, but also from their medical evaluation of their patients and knowing what to look for and knowing what all of these little things could mean that are are more important for solving those medical issues for those patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Julie, if you had one takeaway from today's episode for our audience, what would it be? It would be. Caveat intour. My Latin teacher is going to be very proud of me, which means buyer beware (laughs) in Latin. Buyer beware um, that, yes, there are amazing trainers out there that are very smart. It's just you don't know that until there's, there's no organization that is truly licensing and certifying, right? Well, there, you and I know the good certifying organizations, but you don't know that looking at the letters after somebody's name. So ask a lot of questions. Um, is it, I think it's more AVSAB than DACBB, right? Where is our choosing mm-hmm. a good dog, choosing a dog trainer white paper? Right. Is that on AVSAB? That's AVSAB. That's okay. an AVSAB position mm-hmm. statement. Yep. Correct. So um, looking at that, don't shut down folks, but ask questions and be skeptical. 
Um, and you know, it, it, your neighbor might not be the best person to ask about this, right? Let's ask. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, your veterinarian isn't always the best person to ask about yeah. that. But we're working on that. We are definitely yeah. working on getting people. You may not. I always tell my students, like, I have no clue how to do a TPO. Um, which is a triple pelvic osteotomy, right? For hip dysplasia. Like I would never Mm -hmm. attempt to do something close to that. Mm -hmm. It'd probably be malpractice for me to pick up a scalpel at this point, (laughs) this many (laughs) years out. I know all about those things um, that I can advise. And I know when things aren't going well, I don't know how to get in there and fix it, but I know, I know when things are not right. And that's really kind of the baseline that I'm trying to teach my veterinarian to make my clients aware of that, you know, when something doesn't seem right to your little inner voice, that's probably a, you know, a good guide post there. Well, thank you, Dr. Albright, for all of that fascinating information. We end every show with our buzz kill segment in which we allow our guest, that's you, to bring up some special story, controversy, or the weirdest thing a client or patient ever did or said. And then the hive mind, that's our audience, will vote. Is it buzzworthy? Winning. Or buzzkill? Oh, that's very... um pressure inducing. So I would say, I mean, that's, <laughs> this, this whole topic was somewhat controversial and a little bit negative. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I should try to end on something positive. Um, I would have mm-hmm. to say my most interesting client presentation was somebody came in a bathrobe oh <laughs> once. Awesome. I will never forget no. that. Oh, that's amazing. I, I, you know, I have to say I love it and it makes my day, my week when people write their history forms in the voice of the pet. Oh, that's so cute. Don't you, have you ever gotten, oh, I've, I've never, never, I've never had that happen. Half a dozen. <laughs> never. Oh, that's so cute. And it, I mean, that takes some effort, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our history forms are like eight pages long. Does, so right? to do the whole thing in the voice of their pet that's is adorable. just hysterical. I love that. Love it. I know that's going to be a client that I'm going to have fun I with. I love that. Um, awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are the two things that kind of come to mind right off the bat. Those but the guy in the bathroom. Those are good ones. Right. That's pretty. His in the. It's <laughs> a guy in the bathroom. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, it was a bird. It was a macaw. A bird owner. It was a macaw. Of course it was. Yeah. I can, I, mean, I can say that as God a bird owner. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, I, I don't know if we should put that in there. Um. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to play into stereotypes of bird owners. <laughs> at least it wasn't a cat owner. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> all right. Well, here at the Behavior Buzz, we know you are all busy bees who live and die by the science, like we do. So we'll put the references from today's show on the website, such as Dr. Albright's profound, prolific research papers. So buzz on over to the Honeypot page to find those. And we just want to say congratulations to the five newest diplomates of the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists. We're so proud that you have joined our ranks. And I think we're now at triple digits now, guys. Wow. Yay, we're over 100. And with those little thank yous, we just want to say a big thank you to our guest today, Dr. Julia Albright board certified veterinary behaviorist. Dr. Albright, you are a captivating conversationalist. Thank you so much. Thank you also to our podcast sponsors, PRN Pharmacal, 
and Nestle Purina Pet Care. And an even bigger thank you to our hive mind. Without listeners like you, we would have nothing to buzz on about. So grab a drink or a mocktail and join us next time for cocktails and conversations. Follow Behavior Buzz on Facebook. You know how to spell it. And on Instagram at Behavior Buzz. And on our website, BehaviorBuzz.com. Be positive. Be informed. Now buzz off. Thank you to our sponsor, Melena Martini Incorporated, founder of the Separation Anxiety Certification Program for Dog Professionals and creator of the Mission Possible online course for guardians. Melena and her team of certified separation anxiety trainers work remotely with clients whose dogs are suffering from separation anxiety. Whether you are a dog owner or a dog professional, find the perfect resources to start your separation anxiety journey at melenademartini.com. Thank you to our premium sponsor, PRN Pharmacal, the makers of Reconcile. Reconcile is an FDA-approved drug for the treatment of canine separation anxiety in conjunction with a behavior modification plan. PRN Pharmacal is committed to meeting the evolving needs of modern veterinary medicine and dedicated to developing products to strengthen the bond between pets and their people. This episode is made possible by our premium sponsor, Nestle Purina ProPlan Veterinary Diets and Supplements. Ask your veterinarian if Purina Pro Plan veterinary diets and supplements are right for your pets. While the Behavior Buzz podcast provides clinical insight into veterinary medicine and veterinary behavior, these statements are not intended to diagnose or treat a particular patient. If you have concerns about your pet, please contact your veterinarian or your nearest veterinary behaviorist.